2: I'm Helen Scales.
1: And I'm Shay Rhodes. And this... Is Earth Unscrewed.
2: This living planet of ours is jaw-droppingly beautiful.
1: But with deforestation pollution, plastic filling up our oceans, demand on fossil fuels, toxic chemicals being used on crops, fast fashion, single-use packaging, single-use carbon.
2: It appears our daily lives are taking a serious toll on this place we call home.
1: But never fear, in this podcast we'll be looking into new sustainable solutions that could help fix the problems.
2: And hopefully unscrew the planet. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Earth Unscrewed.
1: I'm super excited because today we're going to be learning about the people who are making science fiction a
2: reality. And a project that started in a garage in Los Angeles that could take transportation into the future.
0: It starts with a vehicle in a tube. That vehicle is what we call a pod. It seats about 28 people. And that pod sits within a tube. The tube, we suck out majority of the atmospheric pressure. So the tube itself is like almost being in space. It's 200,000 feet above sea level, which is pretty crazy. And so the reason why we do that is twofold. One, it creates less aerodynamic drag. And so that allows us to use less energy from a sustainability standpoint. It also allows us to go two to three times as fast as high-speed rail. And so that speed equates to about uh, 1080 kilometers, 670 miles per hour for Americans, 1080 for the rest of the world. That's one component. But the other component that's really interesting and people push back because we actually use uh, magnetic levitation to propel the pod forward, and so that the vehicle propels forward and actually glides and lifts off of a track. So you're actually levitating. Our system is on-demand and direct-to-destination, and it's an autonomous system. And so what I mean by on-demand and direct-to-destination I mean, when you get to a portal and you get there, you're leaving within minutes or even seconds of your arrival, and we're able to do that because the autonomous system is able to move pods within seconds of one another in an automated way. We don't need the same kind of headway rail does. But let's say that we're we're starting in London, but I'm going to Reykjavik and you're going to Paris and London is a connector there, we're not going to get on the same pod. We're not going to stop in the same places. We're going to go direct to destination like we do a plane.
2: I mean, it's obviously a science fiction movie, right? It just can't be real.
1: <laughs> what I really loved is when he, he said, you're actually levitating, and then paused, because he knows <laughs> that you can't say that yes. without everyone going,
2: oh my God!
1: But yeah, I, I'm super excited. I just want to get in now. If you haven't guessed, today we're going to be talking about Virgin Hyperloop 1, a revolutionary new form of transport.
2: And the voice you just heard belongs to Ryan Kelly. He describes himself as an old dog at Hyperloop, and that's because he's been there for three years out of Hyperloop's very short five years of existence.
1: But before we kick off, I think we need to define exactly what a Hyperloop looks like. So roughly what, what Ryan told us is that it's going to be really fast, like a train, but faster. It floats or levitates, which I think is a way better word. (laughs) (laughs) And it's in a tube, which has had all the air sucked out of it. The tube can be anywhere. It can be in the air, underground, even in the sea, potentially. And it's totally on demand. So you get in a pod and you go to where you want to go to.
2: I think part of the reason this feels just so futuristic is it's kind of been on the cards for a while now. I mean, I bet we could Loop back to some old sci-fi movies, and there'd be you know this mm. idea of getting in a tube, um, and actually, kind of in the real world too. Rocketry pioneer Robert Goddard he proposed a vacuum train quite similar to the Hyperloop way back in nineteen oh nine. Wow! Can you believe that nineteen oh nine? They were already thinking you about this any time, yeah. And in nineteen seventy two, the Rand Corporation discussed versions of a supersonic underground railway called the Vac Train. Sounds <laughs> That's
1: fun. Such
2: a nineteen seventy two name. <laughs> But it's kind of always been this unattainable dream. It's just been, yeah, this sort of thing. Like, I put it in the same category as, like, personal, flying, Yes. you know, like personal sort of flying jetpacks that kind of thing that's never going to happen I believe there's
1: one man in the world who's one (laughs) he goes around showing everyone how you could potentially do this
2: exactly (laughs) but the journey of actually turning this incredibly sci-fi futuristic mode of transport into reality has started almost predictably with tech futurist Elon Musk Elon's been a fan of the idea of it for a while and he actually published a white paper on Hyperloop uh, which went on to gain support from the industry and so thus Hyperloop was born
0: The momentum has been really exciting. And so from a garage to over 200-plus people in our Los Angeles HQ to having a test site called DevLoop outside of Las Vegas, we've made some pretty huge strides. We've raised over $370 million, and now governments all around the world are asking, when can we certify a Hyperloop? When can we get a Hyperloop? When can we start moving passengers and cargo in a more sustainable way? For us, the question two or three years ago was, does the tech exist? Is this a real thing? Can we actually make it happen? And now the question has become for government stakeholders, for people around the world that know what we're doing, when can we see this happen? There is a humongous need. If we look forward, by 2050, the UN thinks that about two thirds of the population will live within cities. And we are not prepared for that. The infrastructure that we've built, the last giant leap forward that we had in the United States from a mass infrastructure perspective, were the interstate highway systems. That was a solution in the 1950s. It's not a solution for the 21st century. Stats show that adding another lane to an interstate highway, although it can relieve congestion for maybe two or three years, it induces more cars onto the road and induces demand for more cars. We don't need that right now. We have a sustainability crisis, an environmental crisis. We need to be thinking about solutions where we're bringing people back together to travel together again. And we want to use Hyperloop technology to be that 21st century solution that provides enough value for people where they're willing to come back to mass transportation again. So we have to think bigger. We must do something. Incremental change while helpful in some ways, is not going to be the major leap forward that we need.
1: I can't help agreeing with that sentiment, this notion that incremental change is great and we can get 5% here and 2% there and that's wonderful, but you need these people who are coming along with the huge ideas.
2: Yeah, it makes sense to me, really, that all of this is coming out of California. Um, last time I was in San Francisco, I was staying just north of the city and I was like, oh, cool, I'll hire a car and I'll just pop across the bridge. <laughs> nope. It took me hours and hours. So it felt like, if anywhere, that's where a reinvention of how we move ourselves around has to take place. <laughs> and I guess one thing that really fascinates me about this idea of making this big leap into a new way of mass transporting people around is how we're going to... Change our psychology and our thinking towards how we move ourselves, and and like the buy-in to that, and how that's going to work. The psychology of it, I think, is going to be really fascinating.
1: But this podcast isn't about transport, so or
2: about sci-fi zooming around in tubes no, necessarily, necessary. although it is today.
1: Yeah. So, what does this mean for the planet?
2: Is it going to be our sustainable solution for the future?
0: The Hyperloop system is actually poised to be the most sustainable mass transportation system in the world. Per passenger that we carry, we are more sustainable than an electric vehicle. Why is that? Hyperloop, has no direct emissions. And so we run completely on electric, so no fossil fuels are used. So that's a first tick in the box towards a more sustainable future. However, we're only as clean as the grid in which we're working off of. And so it's not enough to just be using electric. Where is that electric coming from and how are we creating a more sustainable grid? And so for us, you might have seen imagery of Hyperloop tubes that actually have solar panels on top to bring energy back into the system and to not use grid energy as much and so not only do we have zero direct emissions not only can we give back to the grid using solar panels wind powers in our right of way but because we suck out the majority of the atmospheric pressure that means that we require less energy to move at 670 miles per hour. So we are at the minimum five times more energy efficient than a plane, all the way up to about 10 times more energy efficient, depending on the short haul flight. If you were doing a short haul flight from San Francisco to Los Angeles, uh, and you were doing that daily, we would be able to go just as fast and get you there actually quicker when given security issues and things like that, but at a rate that's probably closer to 10 times more energy efficient. And those things add up. Compound on top of that, getting people out of their cars, that would have an immense impact on some of these really populated city-to-city connectors. And so the value proposition of what we're trying to do with Hyperloop is connecting cities like metro stops. And I'll give you a great example of this. Between Mumbai and Pune, which is a route where we signed, with Prime Minister Modi and Sir Richard, a framework to build agreement, we're looking at this route and we estimate that we can move about 16,000 passengers per hour, which equates to about 150 million trips per year. Imagine what that does to take cars off of an interstate highway between Mumbai and Pune that is already at max capacity. So that equates to about 150,000 tons of pollution taken out of the air per year between Mumbai and Pune. It is absolutely massive.
1: It is a huge amount of carbon dioxide, and I really love this idea of stacking up the environmental benefits. So you've got a road, you put the hyperloop next to the road, so you haven't taken up massive bits of countryside. It's actually right next to a road already. And then you put the solar panels on top of the hyperloop, and suddenly it's stacking up the environmental benefits.
2: Absolutely, and obviously that's what really matters here. We really need to be thinking about the sustainability of this, and you know, how much electricity it needs, where's the electricity coming from, like you say, solar panels, the construction, yeah. all of these things have to be thought about. So to just imagine how this could really transform people's lives in terms of where they live, where they work, access to to where their jobs are, and the, the major big cities in a country, it kind of strips that all away and makes new things possible.
0: I think the point about social equity is a very important one. And it's something that a lot of Government officials are asking about how do we balance this? And so we might have forgotten because, again, we haven't created a new form of mass transportation over 100 years. But mobility is a core foundation of creating opportunity at all different levels. So if you're not able to afford to fly from London to Edinburgh every day or from a timing perspective that's going to take hours instead of minutes then that might not be an opportunity that you can pursue because it's too expensive it's a waste of your time etc and so opening up an opportunity where that's a commute across london every day from one city to another with a hyperloop is a completely different value proposition than any other mode of transportation can give at this point point. and so we firmly believe expanding those opportunities is going to create that mobility, not only physically, but also socioeconomically as well for people. And so that's something that's really exciting to us. Uh, something like this has the potential to change the world. And so that's what gets us out of bed every day and something that we're, we're very excited about and, and why we don't sleep <laughs> and are constantly just uh, creating and building and trying to climb this mountain. But it's going to be one worth climbing when we get to the top, for sure.
1: Listening to Ryan just there made me realize that actually I have an example. We have an example in our lifetimes of this they put a tube under the channel and linked England and France. Yeah. And we both use that yeah. regularly. Yeah, yeah. It has transformed our lives.
2: I remember watching on, I guess it was like Saturday morning kids TV and watching them break through the last yes, bit. I Did you watch that, that? Yeah, yeah, And they shook I hands, do you remember? It. And, and they everyone co- wasn't yeah. sure
1: if the French would use seven centimetres and we would use inches and they'd end up in a different place. <laughs> but yeah.
2: I basically also want to know, my big question is in all of this, um... Is it going to be a clear tube and can we see out of it?
1: (laughs) I love it. it. Also, will I feel the wind moving through my hair at all? Will I float a little bit in the pod? I don't know. Uh, Yeah, all of these things are really impressive sounding. But there's still the kid in me that just wants to know what it's going to be like to go through this tunnel at 670
0: miles an hour. Yeah, so one of the questions that we get asked a lot is what is it going to feel like to be on a Hyperloop system that's going 670 miles per hour, How is this going to be comfortable? But if you take a step back, we get on planes every day that go 670 miles per hour, right? But I'll even go further than that and say it's going to be more comfortable than a plane for a couple of reasons. One is we control the weather inside the tube. And so the idea of turbulence doesn't exist within a Hyperloop system. So it's truly going to be one of the most boring and efficient rides. (laughs) It's not a roller coaster. For all of you science and engineers out there that are really interested in this, it's going to be about 0.2 G's is what you're going to feel as a passenger when you propel out, which is basically a train coming out of a station. It will be very seamless and effortless, and comfort is definitely something that we're looking at. But again, we haven't seen a new form of mass transportation in over 100 years. It's scary. It's coming a lot faster than, than people might think it is, so we need to get get everyone comfortable.
2: Okay, so let's put aside all of this futuristic sci-fi talk. Um, Because as Ryan alluded, Hyperloop could become part of our lives quite a lot sooner than we might imagine.
0: The number one marketing question and communications question that I get asked all over the world is, when can I ride this thing? And uh, the answer is sooner than you think, in years, not decades. And so... It's tough because I think that sometimes, and especially the millennial generation, and I'm a part of that generation as well, so I'm not hating on millennials, but the digital revolution has caused us to be able to get things on demand exactly when we want them. And so when there's a new product that comes out, whether it's you know a new, new filter on a, a social media app or a creation of a new app or something like that, Uh, those are fundamentally different things and startups than what we are, right? We're talking about going from a dev loop track where we've proven the technology to regulating and certifying a new mode of transportation for passengers and cargo, something that hasn't been done in over 100 years. And so that is a big mountain to climb and we're only four and a half years old. And for us to have gone from being in a garage to meeting with governments and government officials, people that are running countries, federal DOTs, talking about, and I was in D.C. a couple weeks ago, that House just passed in the United States funding to support um, new and emerging transportation technology in the DOT, and at the core of that is Hyperloop. And to get that kind of attention, uh, being such a young startup, is huge. We're expecting the first system to be up and running Before twenty thirty, so by the end of twenty twenty nine, I don't want to be ninety years old before riding the hyperloop. I mean, that's that's not my plan. I want to get on this thing while I can still enjoy it. So, but you know, what's really cool about that? We get a bunch of letters from kids in middle school, grade school, that are really interested in science and follow Hyperloop, and they're really excited about it, and they almost talk about it in the same way people talk about spaceships now. And so they write letters about, I, I either want to work for Hyperloop when I grow up and bring this to fruition. Um, they ask a bunch of questions about the technology, and it's a really cool thing to think about when we get these letters that these kids are going to be the people potentially riding a Hyperloop in in 10 years. And that's pretty cool uh, to us. And I know that for our co-founder, Josh Geigel, he talks a lot about he just had a baby, Lucas, and he always talks about his pride that someday he's going to be able to say that he created a new form of mass transportation and, and have his son ride on a Hyperloop. I think that there's a lot of negativity out in the world uh, right now, and there's a, there's a lot of tough news out there. There's a lot of fragmentation out there, and you know, it's nice to work on something that is positive. Something like sustainability, or, you know, the, the impact of pollution on the environment, sometimes as a, a citizen and this is not me speaking for Hyperloop I feel helpless. You know, I I don't know what to do in my everyday life to make this go away. And there are certain things that you can do that make a huge difference from a micro perspective. But this is a giant leap forward from a macro perspective that people should support. And whether it's Virgin Hyperloop One is the company that brings Hyperloop to fruition or another company or whatever it is. This is the type of giant leap forward where if you're not paying attention and you're not supporting this kind of thing, like you should be. I think listeners should know that there are a lot of people out there that are, are working to try to solve some of these issues. So stay positive.
2: Hmm. Yeah, positive thinking. I like it.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it, it makes sense that all these kids are writing to them. It's yeah. such a, a fantastic... Vision, you know, yeah. and to be able to tell them, again, something that didn't really happen much in our lifetimes, to be able to tell them that you will see this, not just in decades, mm. but soon, very soon. It will happen. That's super
2: yeah, exciting. Yeah, 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 it is. Also, well, I think this just remains for us to say a huge thanks to Ryan Kelly for introducing us to these ideas of, of the transport of the maybe not so distant future.
1: And thank you for listening to Earth Unscrewed.
2: If you've enjoyed listening to any of the themes we've been talking about today, uh, then we've included some links in the description.
1: To keep in the loop, pun intended, and find out when you'll get to shoot down a vacuum tube at 670 miles an hour, then follow Ryan and the team at Hyperloop1 on Twitter. That's spelled O-N-E.
2: To follow the series, don't forget to subscribe.
1: And please do remember to rate and review. It really helps us to get these incredible stories out there.
2: Until next time, I'm Helen Scales.
1: And I'm Shay Rhodes.
2: Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.